Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. If you're joining with us online, we're really glad that you're with us as well. Um, one of my favorite things to do on a Saturday morning, maybe you all have your, your Saturday things, but my thing in Saturday morning is to open up YouTube and I go to my favorite YouTube channel. And my favorite YouTube channel it goes by the name of Vice Grip Garage. Vice Grip Garage. Now, this is really cool, Like, if, especially if you like cars. If you don't like cars, you won't care, but he is still very entertaining for those of you who don't like cars. Uh, you just like to be entertained. But... Uh, one of the most popular things that he does is he has a particular video um, kind of series that he'll do is he'll go on the line, online, you know, on the good old internet, and he will find a vehicle that has not run for about 20 or 30 years. Now, I know that that's what you all do when you go to look for a vehicle, right? Uh, and he will uh, buy it. Sight unseen, like he'll see some pictures and he'll buy it and then he'll fly in or drive in and he will go and then the whole video is him fixing the, the car and restoring it so that he can drive it home, oftentimes hundreds of miles away. And uh, when I think about those restoration, those revival videos, I think about, because I'm a preacher, I think about revival in us. About like how much we would think and how much we probably wrestle with uh, when we look at our, our, our community, when we look at our nation, when we look at our world, we look at it and we see that this is a place, a people in need of revival and in need of restoration. That how things are, are not how they ought to be. And we, if we were really honest, we would see that not just out there, but in here too. When we have those moments to look ourselves in the mirror and we wrestle with those parts of us that still struggle to surrender to Jesus. Our community, for, for one, like just for example, and over the last 20 years, 20 years ago um, in Wells County, about 30% of the people in Wells County 20 years ago would call themselves non-religious. So this is no religion, no, no religious association at all. 20 years later, that number has almost doubled to 56% of the population here in Wells County of people who would say, I have no religious affiliation at all. That's not even just saying non-Christian. That's just saying non-religious of any kind. And what we've seen over the course of time is not a really good effect. Um, if you look at demographic studies that take into account a number of data points, uh, you'll see that in our county right now that we have a much higher uh, probability of people suffering from anxiety and depression compared to the national average. That, that 20% of marriages are suffering from stressors that oftentimes lead to divorce. Um, that we have households of kids not growing up knowing who Jesus is and knowing what the significance of that is. We've seen the results. In our county, we have our own issues that sometimes we push to the side and we just don't want to talk about it because it's kind of hard to deal with. Um, and, and if you extrapolate that to our nation, we see all kinds of problems. We see all kinds of problems in the world as a whole. And when we look at ourselves in the mirror, uh, if, we're, if we're being honest, if we're having moments of humility, then we'll see that we ourselves, we are in need of revival. 
So that's what we're going to look at today is, um, as we close out week four of prayer and fasting. We've been on this journey of praying and fasting because we have uh, a Savior who has an example for us because he would often withdraw to pray. And as his followers, we ought to create a practice of prayer in our own lives. And we've been giving you ideas and, and topics to pray about today. We're going to be talking about the topic of revival. See, revival can sometimes happen in a junkyard with a car that's not driven for about 20, 30 years, but it can also sometimes happen in other places that you don't realize in our lives. For Ezekiel, who we're going to be looking at today, it happened not in the junkyard, but in the graveyard. Uh, so you have a Bible, you can turn that to Ezekiel 37. It's kind of toward the middle of your Bible. But just let me uh, pick you up on what, where we are in history in, in the Jewish experience. Um, for the Israelites, they had been taken over by the Babylonian Empire. Um, another empire came in and destroyed the, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, took over Jerusalem, and had all of those people be dispersed into the broader nation and broader empire of Babylon. Um, and many of those people, uh, one of them uh, would be Daniel, which you may have heard of, Daniel in the lion's den, that uh, he was... At the same time of Ezekiel, Daniel was in the royal court. So Ezekiel and Daniel are peers, they're, they're contemporaries, whereas Daniel was in the royal courts doing work, interpreting dreams for the king. Uh, Ezekiel was, he had a different role. He was the kind of pastor and prophet to the Jewish people as they were in Exile. So just to understand the Jewish people's plight right now, imagine a other nation, a foreign nation, comes in and takes over our nation and takes us out of our nation and is here occupying it. That would be what it would be like for the Jewish people in this time. So you can imagine they've, they're asking a lot of questions. They're wondering what is going on. And in this moment... Um, we are at a point where in history where the Babylon, Babylonian Empire has destroyed Jerusalem, many of these people's home. And so they're not only homesick, but now they have no home. And for those of us who follow Jesus, this is a very similar kind of feeling that sometimes we often feel. That we are citizens of heaven, but we're here on this earth. And we're, we're under the rule of worldly leaders and we are surrounded by worldly behaviors and we are tempted sometimes to indulge in those things as well and those would have been the same kind of things that were stressing the jewish people out in that moment so ezekiel 37 is where we're going to be um just forewarning ezekiel the book of ezekiel if you ever decide to read it it reads kind of like um what you would see if you were like um tripping out yeah, if you had some issues, you know, took a couple too many, never mind. Um, Ezekiel 37, you'll see what I mean here in a minute. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, this is what it says. The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel speaking, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He means that literally, by the way. He led me all around them. Look at this bone. The thigh bone, it's not connected to the hip bone. It's there. You know. There was a great many of them on the surface of the valley, led me all around them, and they were very dry. And then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? 
I replied, Lord God, only you know. We're going to stop there. This is a vision that God gives to Ezekiel. Um, and uh, can you just imagine it? So this is, for, for like back in, back in the day when I was in middle school, I don't know if they do this these days, but um, back in the day, um, we, we would, if I was at someone's house who lived near a cemetery, then, you know, we would wait until it's nighttime. And if we're playing a good old game of truth or dare, you better believe that one of the dares was going to be to run through that cemetery. Now, you see, guys um, and gals, this is not a, a cemetery, a graveyard that any middle schooler would want to go in. Ever. Not even the bravest one. Not even the most courageous one. Not even the most crazy one. Uh, because uh, as Ezekiel is in this valley of dry bones, he is either ankle deep, knee deep, in a in a valley of... Bones. This was a cemetery. It was not nice uh, manicured lawn. It did not have a landscape crew. If they did, then they surely deserved to be fired. Um, they didn't. It wasn't sprinkled with flowers and a bunch of granite gravestones. This is not how this was. These bodies were on the top. They were, as they decomposed, becoming topsoil for the land. And God is leading Ezekiel through this place and saying, you know, hey, look at this. You know, look at this. Pretty. It's pretty dire. Pretty dire. And he looks at him. You have to imagine what it would have been like to be Ezekiel. God looks at him. And, and son of man is like this nickname that God gave Ezekiel. Son of man. Can these bones live? And, and you know, like if you, were, if you were Ezekiel, you'd be like, okay, I know the Sunday school answer. Right? Like I know what I'm supposed to say. Like if you want to, Lord. But I think, like, on some level, it seems like Ezekiel is kind of doing a cop-out. He's, I feel like he's doing the political answer. You know, like what politicians do when they're asked a question that they don't want to answer. They just kind of talk for about five minutes about something else, and they're like, that's it? This kind of seems like he's letting himself off the hook on giving a real answer. So what does he say? Uh, well, Lord God, only you know. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know, but you know, and I don't know what you know, but I know that you know, and maybe you could if you wanted to, but maybe you don't want to. Maybe it's a, kind of a day that you're just not feeling like, I don't know what you want to do, but maybe you could. And, and, and Ezekiel is like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's being faithful and like, uh, you know, faith-filled and being like, you know what, maybe God, like, of course you could, but I don't know if you want to, you know? But it seems as though God is putting Ezekiel in a weird spot. And it gets weirder. So let's keep reading. Ezekiel 37, verse 4. He said to me, prophesy. This is God saying to Ezekiel, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you can come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, Ezekiel saying this, so I prophesied as I had been commanded while I was prophesying. There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breathe. 
Breath came from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet. A vast army. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, the word prophesy, um, when, when God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to them, um, he, he's basically saying, proclaim these words that I'm going to give to you. Preach to them. And so in some ways, like when anyone stands up or sits down and proclaims the word of the Lord, opens the Bible up and says what it says, they are in a, in a small way, a, like a little pea prophet. Because what prophesy means is not to say, oh, hey guys, uh, just so you know, I did my calculations. December 31st, 2022 is when the Lord's going to return. That's not prophesying, okay? Like, just don't listen to those people at all. If you hear someone saying that, run the other way. But what prophesying is, is speaking the words of God. It's saying, this is what God says. Thus saith the Lord. And so uh, God essentially says, hey, Ezekiel, you see this valley of bones that just you and me are here. Ain't nobody else here. Ain't nobody live here except for you and me. Preach to the bones. Would you have done it? <laughs> like, uh, Lord, um, are you live streaming this? Because this is kind of embarrassing. Or like, seriously, Lord? Like some of us, like we struggle when God tells us to do something silly. Like when we feel called to do something, but it's like, God, are you sure? Like, did you check on this? Did you check the alternatives? Like the alternate route? It seems like this isn't working out. But you see, this wasn't Ezekiel's first rodeo. Ezekiel has, uh, from the beginning of his ministry, had to do some interesting things because God commanded him. So just for example, when, when Ezekiel first started off, God made up a scroll, you know, like a scroll. And I read the stuff like a book, but not a book. It's a scroll. Um, God wrote some stuff on it and he handed Ezekiel the scroll. So Ezekiel's got the scroll. But God doesn't say, hey, study these words, read it, memorize it. Make sure that you make some copies of it so you can give it to your friends. Make sure you copy this onto the newsletter, the FCC Thrive newsletter that you should read. You know, he's going say make a Facebook post about it, Instagram it, nothing. He says, hey, here's your scroll, eat it. Eat it. That's right. No appetizer, no palate cleansing, just eat it. And he did. He ate a scroll. It's kind of weird, right? I can imagine if you watched Ezekiel do that. What, God told you to do that? Okay. <laughs> you call 911, right? Somebody's crazy. But that wasn't it. So, like, that happened, and then um, he actually said it tasted like honey. So the Lord, you know, blessed his faithfulness. Uh, another one was, as I said, Jerusalem by this time in Ezekiel has been uh, completely destroyed. But uh, what the Babylonians were doing in the moment was they were sieging Jerusalem. So they were basically surrounding them so that they couldn't get any supplies in or out. And so eventually, you know, a city would just give up because they, they would starve to death. And um, to, to tell the people about what was going to happen in Jerusalem, um, God told Ezekiel to do like a sermon illustration but like a, a living one. Um, so he told him, hey, go over there and lay down on your side and prophesy to the people. Uh, not just for a day, not just for a week. That would kind of hurt, right? 
He didn't give him a Tempur-Pedic mattress or anything, you know, not, not adjusted to his, his comfort level. Uh, just lay on the ground and prophesy, and he told him to do it for 390 days. That's, you know, that's interesting. 390 days laying on your side prophesying. Can you imagine what people thought about Ezekiel? 390 days, uh, that gets done. He's, he's able to get up, but then the Lord says, hey, go on your other side for 40 days and do it again. So, so Ezekiel was kind of used to God messing with him, you know? Ezekiel was used to God telling him to do something that just seemed to not make sense, like preaching to some bones. But each time God chose Ezekiel to do this, he showed himself to be faithful. And so Ezekiel is preaching to these bones. And, you know, one of the things that it's very clear in this is that God is very clear that the outcome of what's going to happen is going to be dependent not on Ezekiel, but on God himself. He says, hey, go preach to these bones. This is what I'm going to tell you to do. This is what's going to happen. I'll cause breath to enter them. I'll, I'll make them live. Uh, I'll make these bones have tendons and flesh and skin. And, and, and these bones, this pile of bones is going to become people. And I'm going to make a vast army with this, with these people. Where you see death, where you see hopelessness, understand that when God wants to move, he can move in a very mighty way. Because that's exactly what happens. God says, hey, I'm going to do this. And I think this would be a brave prayer to pray. Because this tells us something. That the outcome is always up to God. Like all of us, we, when we pray, we have things we pray about, right? I'd imagine. Like you might have some things that you, you want the Lord to be paying attention to. And so when you come to him and you say, hey, Lord, this is what I want. A brave prayer would be, to recognize that the outcome is in his hands. That you can pray, you can ask him, hey Lord, I'd love to see this happen. I'd love to see you do this. But also with the caveat of God, I understand that um, I, I may not even be praying for the right thing. I may not even be praying considering this because I don't know all the things that you know because you know all the things and I don't know all the things because I'm going to trust that you're going to do the right thing. And so you, you go to God and, and maybe you have some really, really heavy outcome that you really want God to do. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a worry about the future. Maybe it's about your kid or your grandkid or a sibling or a spouse. Maybe it's something you're worried about for yourself. Maybe it's something within your family, something within your social spheres. Maybe it's something with a, a job, workplace. And you go to God and you're like, hey, God, I really need you to do this. Understand two things. First, we need to release that. The break prayer is to say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. I want you to do this, but I also understand um, that you know best and you may not do it. I'm going to follow you anyway. I'm going to trust you through this anyway. And so that's the first part of that brave prayer. The second part is to recognize that God included Ezekiel in the process. So when you're praying for the thing, sometimes that you're, you're part of the answer to the prayer you're praying. Did you hear that? When you're praying about a thing, understand that you may be part of the answer to the prayer that you're praying. 
So he's going to invite you to be a part of the process. See, Ezekiel was called to, to prophesy, not because God needed him to do it, but because God allowed him to do it. And so Ezekiel is being a part. He gets a, a front row seat to the work that God is doing. Some of us, when we step out in faith and just do what it is that God's calling us to do, we'll get a front row seat of him working. But we have to be willing to be part of it. So he can do it, but God has a history of continuing to use people like you and me, broken people like you and me, for his purposes. And that's good news. But we have to do both of those pieces. Give it all to him and be willing to be used by him. And so God included him. And then, so obviously we see this miraculous moment happening. These bones are coming to life. And Ezekiel sees in this valley that was full of dry bones, full of hopelessness, full of despair, full of death, be full of life and hope, a vast army under the command of God. And then God explains what is happening to Ezekiel. Because all of us are probably like, this is, this is trippy. By the way, I think this is probably like a dark, cloudy day. In this moment, because like it's sunny and sunshine, like it just doesn't make sense, right? Aesthetically, you guys agree? This just has to be a dark, gloomy day. Um, so verse 11, this is what it says. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, the, the Israelites, right, who are in exile. Look how they say. Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Have you ever felt that way? Where you're just tired? Where you're just without anything else? Like you feel the exhaustion, not just in your muscles, but in your bones. When you think about the future, you don't think about anything good because you can't see it. When you're, I, God, I feel like you're, you cut me off. Like I, I, don't, even, I don't even know. Where, where are you? Do you even care? Do you even hear me? Are you even, are you even paying attention? Lord, if you were, then what, what's going on? Well, this is what he's saying. Look how they say. This is what they say. Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Verse 12. Therefore, Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them this. This is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. This is, this is so significant because uh, God is not speaking of a moment that merely happens in the history of Israel and their journey back to Jerusalem. This is fulfilled in a far bigger way, a far more, more significant way. Because what he's saying is that, hey, I'm going to do this and I want you to understand that where you don't see me working, I'm still working. Where you don't see it happening, it's still going to happen if I want it to happen. God is saying that, hey, where you see death, I'm going to bring life out of that. Because while all of us were still sinners, while all of us were still enemies of God, while all of us were still rebelling against him, while all of us were spiritually walking dead... God saw it fit to deliver us 
a Savior. And Jesus came to the earth. He gave up heavenly glory in the throne room and came down to be among us, to be one of us, to put on flesh and dwell with us, to live as if he was fully human. He was fully God. He was fully human, fully God. And he lived the life that all of us are called to live, perfection, that none of us could do it, but he can. And he went to the cross so that all of our burdens, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of those things that you do that still haunt you at night, all of those things that you've never told anyone you've done, but you know you've done, all those things that add up, those small things that add up here and there, all of those things that are in your life that you have chosen the way of the enemy versus the way of God, He went to the cross so that he could put all those things on his back, so that he could give you forgiveness, so that he could give you life, so that he could give you revival. So when Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his laughs, something significant happened in the temple. So as God says to Ezekiel, hey, I'm going to put my spirit in you. This is what happened when Jesus breathed his laughs, as he gave his self as the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have life. In the temple, uh, there was this room, this inner room called the Holy of Holies. We've talked about this a couple of times. But this was the, the space where God's presence fully dwelt. And the high priest was only allowed to go there once a year to make the day, to, on the Day of Atonement to make an ultimate sacrifice for the people's sins. But it was never significant enough for it to, to last for eternity. They had to do it every year. Every year, going back and forth. Um, and so there was a veil, that, that a curtain... That, that was surrounding the Holy of Holies. Because if you walked into the Holy of Holies um, and, and you weren't the high priest and you weren't ceremonially cleansed of your sin, you would be, you would drop dead. Because you, you have no business being in the presence of God when you are a sinner. And so what happened was uh, the, the veil that was covering the Holy of Holies tore from top to bottom. What that means is is that God was saying, I'm going to do something brand new. I'm going to send my spirit into my people. That because of Jesus, when you come to Jesus and you surrender to him, you are covered by his blood. You are covered by his robe of righteousness. His perfection is now credited to your account. So now when you surrender to him, you can walk as someone who has never sinned. Because Jesus' sacrifice was that significant. And what do we see happening? Jesus went to the throne room of heaven, which is, he's still there right now. Um, in, and he, he's, he's in charge. And he told the, the Peter and the apostles, hey, go out and spread the word. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and the apostles. And people start to, to gather around them because they hear their known native languages. And this is the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Peter starts to preach a message that is basically saying that Jesus is the Messiah. You all killed him. And the people in response are like, what must we do? Like, this is not good. I don't want to kill the Messiah. I want to receive grace. And in response, Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the significance of this moment. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. This is being fulfilled from Ezekiel where God says he's going to put the Spirit of God in you. Now we have that promise. Now, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you are geographically, no matter where you are emotionally, no matter where you are mentally, if you surrender to Jesus, you are never alone because the Holy Spirit 
lives inside of you. And what he wants to do is to take all of those dry bones that are in our lives and breathe life into them. The dry bones. So God is clear on what the dry bones are. That's the house of Israel. Which when we surrender to Jesus as Gentiles, unless you're Jewish, when we, are, we surrender to Jesus as Gentiles, we are grafted into the house of Israel. So now the church is the same people as the house of Israel. Those in Israel who are Jewish people who have surrendered to Jesus. It's all the same group. And so now we see God moving in such a way. And what we see him saying is that the house of bones, the dry bones is the house of Israel that needs to be brought to life. So all of us, without Jesus, we're walking dead. We're spiritually dead. We have nothing good to offer. We have no ability to live for God. And what we need to receive is the gift of his life. Jesus says he has come so that we can have life and have it abundantly. And so the question is, for, for a lot of us, is like, what are those bones? See, revival is being able to see that God is at work, that God is real, that God is moving in you and all, and all the people around you so that you see people through the filter of God's work in them, of God's possibility, that he created them in the image of God. So what are those dry bones in you that maybe has caused you to go into bitterness, has caused you to go into places that, that is not full of grace and truth, that, that have uh, indulged your own sin? What are those dry bones in your life? Because here's what is true. When we follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit's indwelling us, he wants to form Christ in us. In other words, he wants us to become more like Jesus. If you're not becoming more loving, if you're not becoming more uh, gracious, more more uh, peaceful, then, then something in your life has not been surrendered to Jesus. So what are those dry bones? I'll give you some examples of what they might be. An example of a dry bone in your life may be self-worship. And you wouldn't ever, like, look in the mirror and say, you know, bow down to yourself and be like, oh, I worship you, you know? Like, none of us do that. But some of us do go to ourselves whenever there's an important decision to make. And we think about it only through the lens of, will this make me happy? Is this what I want? We don't go to God. We, we ask, is, is this what I want? And when your life revolves around yourself, understand you're not going to be able to love people well. You're going to be alone and you're worshiping yourself. You are worshiping an idol. And so if you are suffering from that, if you think that the world revolves around you and you are always going to yourself, that your chief uh, metric for making decisions is only based on what you want and how you want it, then you might be having a dry bone of self-worship. Another one is a lukewarm faith. Jesus talked about this to the church in Laodicea, a church. By the way, just coming to church does not make you a Christian. does not bring you salvation. Surrendering to Jesus is what brings that to you. So lukewarm faith, where, where basically you, you come to church maybe, maybe you read the Bible, maybe you even pray every now and again, but you really don't care. It's just like, like you and Jesus are kind of the acquaintances that you see out on the town, that you may have a couple conversations when you see each other. Uh, maybe like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, like, oh, it's good, you know, thanks, cool, yay. But then you move on with no other thoughts about what he would think, and know the thoughts about devoting your life to him. If that's you, then that may be a dry bone in your life. 
a lust for power. Some of us, because we are, are Americans and we've bought into the American dream that uh, says if you've, you can accomplish more, then you should accomplish more. And it doesn't really matter on how many people uh, fall down in your, uh, in your race to the top. Um, it's just a matter that you get to the top. If you have a lust for power, then understand that Jesus is the one who came down from the throne room of heaven to become a servant. Um, if you want to follow Jesus, understand that the first will be last and last will be first, that he's called us to be a servant. So if you lust for power, if it's all about who who you can be and, and your title, your authority, your ability to control the elements of your life, then you are lusting for power, and that's a dry bone. Another one might be a spirit of arrogance and pride. If you think that you always know everything, you know most, you know best. Maybe you've never said it, but that's what you think inside. Maybe you've thought to yourself, man, if if they would just stop being so dumb. They're either ignorant or dumb, but they're one or the other. If they would just listen to me, they'd be fine. If you have a spirit of arrogance and pride, then understand that's a dry bone. That's not bringing you life. It's just going to lead to bitterness. Maybe the, the worst of all and the more encompassing one is spiritual deadness. Like if, if you, if when you think about the Lord, um, your heart is hardened to God, to the things of God. It may just be that that's a dry bone in your life, that you've not fully surrendered, that he's, if, you're, if your heart's never open to what God says, if you've never changed your mind about something, if you've never been corrected by the Lord and his graciousness and his kindness and in his rebuke, then maybe you've not been following him. Maybe you've been following a caricature of God that is made in your own image. The only way that you can have that dry bone have life is to ask the Lord to do it. And he will, but you have to trust him. This is spiritual formation. This is what the the bulk of the Bible is all about. It's becoming more like the person God wants you to be. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that in us, but we have to be paying attention and be willing to let him do that. See, dry bones coming to life, that can happen, and it has happened. If you follow Jesus, if you surrender to him, then understand in the spiritual sense, you were dead before he did that. And he brought life to you. He breathed life to you. And that is good news. And what he wants to do is just to have what has happened in your life to be fully, 100% enveloping every part of your life. Because I'd have, I would imagine if we were all honest, we would admit that there are some things in our life we've not surrendered to him. There are some things in our life that we're just like, nope, I'm not ready to give that up. Nope, that's not something that I want to just let go of. It may be small, it may be big, but if it's something you're holding away from Jesus, that's very significant. And I think what he wants us to do is if we want to experience revival in our day and time, then it has to start in us. It has to start in us. It's fine to be concerned about the things of the world. But my friends, look yourself in the mirror and ask God to revive you first. This is what Ronnie Floyd, a pastor, uh, said. He said, the answer to our spiritual crisis will come when we put off our mindsets of self-worship, territorialism, and the spirit of arrogance and pride and put on the sackcloth of prayer and fasting and humiliation and repentance before God. This is what we've been leading to. This is what we've been talking about this last four weeks. 
is the importance of prayer and things to pray about and things to pray for. Understand this, church. This this is my call to you, not just today, not just for the sermon series, but for the rest of your life. Pray to the Lord, the one who brings dead things to life. Never forget that the one you pray to when you pray, when you go before the throne room of heaven, when you talk to your heavenly Father, he's the one who can bring dead things to life. So never doubt whether or not he has the capabilities of bringing those dry bones to life. Can these dry bones live? Yes, they can. You're walking evidence. Because each one of us who have surrendered to Jesus before that, we were all walking dead bones. So what we're going to be fasting from and praying for this week, we're going to fast from food. Not so that we would just look like, you know, skin and bones. <laughs> but so that we would ask God to do a revival in us, in our county, and in this world. The revival has to begin in us. And we need to go to the Lord and ask him to do it. So that's what we're going to be doing this week. But I want us to start now. So uh, if you're willing, I, I want to encourage you to, um, we're going to do a little guided prayer. I want to just paint a picture in your mind and, and give you some space to spend with your God. So if you're willing to, close your eyes. Those of you at home, close your eyes. I want you to picture yourself, you're, you're in one of your happy places. You're, you're maybe in the woods, maybe by the water. Maybe you're at your home in a certain spot that you go. Wherever it is, you're sitting at a table and your Savior appears. He walks up to you. He smiles. And he sits down on the other side of that table and he asks you a question. What hurts and how can I help? What hurts and how can I help? Spend some time right now just answering those questions. What can I what what hurts and how can I help? Jesus, thank you for meeting us every time we come to you. 
You're never too busy for us. You're never too preoccupied. You're always willing to give us your whole attention because your attention is infinite. And we're so grateful for that. God, we, uh, I'm sure all of us have the things that we've thought about, the, the things that have been hurting, the things that have been troubling us. Lord, give us faith to see the things that you want us to see. Help us to see with eyes of faith, not just the eyes that see a valley of dry bones, but us the faith to see a valley of a vast army. God, all of us have our burdens. All of us have things that we've been wrestling with. We've all got struggles. We've all got things that we we would probably call dry bones in our life. God, please breathe new life in us, whether it be trauma and trials from our childhood, whether it be things we've dealt with as adults, things that we've wrestled with and shame and guilt. Relationships, worries about the future, fear about the present, whatever it is, God, would you please meet us? Would you please give us what we need? And that is your presence, a fresh awareness of it. Would you bring revival in us to where we could be people who are leaning on you, depending on you. We're we're readily aware that you're involved in every intricacy of life and that you are the one who holds all of the the elements of physics together in your own hands. The only reason we can breathe another breath is because you care for us. God, help us to see that even when we are wrestling with hopelessness and discouragement that you are at work ahead of us. We love you, Jesus. Please help us to lean on you, not just in this moment, but when we leave this place, when everything in us is telling us that we've got to handle it, it's up to us to do it. God, help us to remember that the outcome is up to you and Yes, we get to be a part of it, and we're grateful for that. Help us to walk in that way. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.